Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the show where we bring on cool guests to talk about the cool things that they're working on. And tonight's cool guest is none other than Mac Martin. And the cool thing that we're going to be talking about is the Stargate SG-1 role-playing game that is currently, as of recording, on Kickstarter. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Mac is obviously our special guest tonight, and I'm super excited to talk to Mac. But before we get rolling, I have to introduce someone else. For making his show Intel debut is none other than my dear streaming buddy, Jake Seidenberg. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Hello. Hello. Jake, um, tell the listeners why. Did I can't remember if I asked you to be on this or if you begged to be on this episode, but why are you on this episode? I feel like it was 50-50. At least okay. in my mind, I was definitely begging. But yeah, uh, I am the the biggest Stargate fan that Tom knows. <laughs> and that's, that's not an exaggeration. Uh, Jake and Mac are going to fight after this. Okay. <laughs> I'm a talks at dawn. We're going to have a Stargate uh, trivia night and see who wins. Um, no. Okay. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Stargate SG-1, a role-playing game. But before we really get talking about that, really, we just want to get to know Mac. So Mac, could you just, for anyone who may not know, um, let us know um, who you are in this world of role-playing games? Uh, well, I mean, I started off as a podcaster doing a Warmer 40K podcast. Uh, but my first uh, work and gig, I was a producer at Fantasy Flight Games, got to work on a lot of fun stuff, uh, most notably the uh, Warmer 40K role-playing game line, uh, Dark Heresy. And then, uh, as well as I uh, cut my teeth on uh, Dust Warfare for Miniatures Games, went over to Weird, did uh, Malifaux's second edition and that, and the first edition of Through the Breach. Uh, they just started their third edition. It looks really good. I My fiancé has been wanting me to play. Uh, and then... Uh, Let's see, I kicked around doing a little IP work, writing my own stuff, and uh, then I jumped on board to design the Stargate RPG. That's a that that's a lot of science fiction, and you're 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 moving right into Stargate. That's awesome. So I guess really then is also what's your what's your history then with Stargate? What's that con- what's that connection for you right there? Okay, well to sum it up quickly, uh, the summer the movie came out. It was showing all summer long at the Dollar Theater after we saw it, I think when it first came out or in the earlier in the summer. But for, it uh, must have been months, it was just the movie my cousin and I went to see when we got dropped off at the Dollar Theater. Uh, and then I watched the original series online. And then a few years later when it started coming out on TV, or not online, uh, live on TV. And then a few years later when it started coming out on DVD, I was like, well, now I got to make sure I didn't miss any episodes. A bunch of classic 90s sci-fi I did that with, too. Like Sliders is another, you know. Oh, Sliders is great. Yeah, another good role-playing game one, right? Like, easy formula there. Uh, but uh, uh, then I've just been keeping up with Stargate ever since. And then, of course, once, uh, you know, with, with Universe and Atlantis and uh, the web series and everything, I've, I've watched it all. And then... Recently, I've had the excuse to go back and make my fiance watch seasons one through six with me over and over and over again. That you you tell you tell her that that it's research. It's you know? research. I have to research. Can't so you wouldn't, wouldn't want me to be bad at my job, would you? 
I should have used that to get my wife to watch it because my wife can sit through maybe an episode and then she's like, whoa, okay, let's watch something else. This is too 90s for me. (laughs) It may be 90s, but it actually holds up, I found. Me too. Right? It's just a testament to good, solid sci-fi writing. So what would you say then is, so one of the things that, um, I was going to say one of the things that we like to do on the RPG Academy is make bold, definitive claims, but Michael typically likes to make very broad, <laughs> very inclusive claims. But I want to just say, want you to say, what do you think is the best Stargate series? Series? <laughs> yes. What's the best or what's my favorite? <laughs> okay, what's your favorite? Uh, my favorite is Universe. Why Universe? I, I'm a sucker for world building. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that's what all my jobs really come down to when it comes to the narrative half. And I'm just a sucker for it. And Universe gave me that deep, stupid lore I love. <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, I, I will. Yeah. World building RPGs. Makes sense. But Jake, what's your favorite? Oh, man, I, I got to say SG-1 is definitely my favorite because uh, the characters <laughs> that are in there, like they're just so... Like, they're predictable, but, like, in a fun, loving way, you know? Like, you, you see what's happening in the episode, and you can say, like, oh, this guy's gonna do this. And it just, I don't know, it, it's a, a bygone era, I feel like, because in today's television, it's all about, like, you don't know what the characters are doing, and, like, they're all crazy and unpredictable. But, like, you know, back to episodic television that had a, a slow thread that went through the seasons, you know, that's... It's something to look forward to, and so I, I would have to say SG-1. I made Jake say SG-1 because we're talking about the SG-1 role playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I didn't have no, to no, do no. the pandering. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I think that's a, that's a good point uh, as far as the episodic nature, and I think that we're going to touch on that later on in the interview, I think, with the role-playing game, because you mentioned that in the Kickstarter. But let's talk about the role-playing game. So, Mac, what's the elevator pitch for the Stargate SG-1 RPG? It's a fifth edition. It's based on the fifth edition, uh, the D&D fifth edition SRD. Uh, so if you're familiar with that rule set, you're familiar with most of what we're starting off with. But our game looks to specifically mimic a television show and it should feel like a television show at your table and like you're playing characters in a tv show there's a lot of elements that are designed to give it that kind of narrative pacing and game session flow that's awesome i mean great a great rpg session is i mean in my opinion should be episodic that so it's just like you want to have a definitive beginning and end but like jake was saying earlier that that kind of through line and stuff so that's it's pretty cool but Jake, now I know you wanted to ask this question. Yes, so, I have a question. Uh, take, take it away. So I know that we, uh, you know, not a lot of people will, you know, know Stargate, especially newer people that have been brought in with this whole critical role, uh, you know, craze and tabletop role playing. So would you say that this book is made for the Stargate fans, or is this really just made for anybody who likes sci-fi role playing games? And Stargate is just that, you know, vehicle for moving it forward. Well, the obviously the the answer I have to give is both. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll be honest; it's it's made for fans of the Stargate TV show who maybe haven't role played. That's why we picked Fifth Edition. It's an easy, casual system to get into that still has that crunch that lets you make real decisions with your character, so that the gamers aren't bored. But we're designing this to to tell that show, to tell that kind of stargate classic stargate story and that goes right down to our season structure where the gm is directing a 13 episode season and it's 
It's for people who like TV shows and sci-fi TV shows in general, but specifically to Stargate. And it's for them to get to experience a, an actual making character decisions, both between sessions and at the session moments where they're helping guide their primary protagonists through that experience. Right. We're, we're trying to blend those two narrative styles. So one of the things we, we've, we've talked about it a couple of times, you just now mentioned it. So I want to talk, like dive in. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But can you explain then what this is, this campaign system that you all have that makes it feel more like a TV series? How does that work mechanically or at the table? Well, the simplest part about it is the advice I give the GM. Uh, in the GM's chapter, we talk about writing your season, how to how you're going to do it. Obviously, well, so one of the tropes are tropes that elements of background we're doing is is your station at the place a place called the Phoenix site, which nobody knows where it is, but it's kind of a backup Stargate location. It's a Stargate on another planet that's being used for diplomatic missions where people where we're looking for allies against the Gaul. And it's not on Earth. And it's still run by the United States Air Force, but it's this kind of secret hidden location. And so that your players really do have a, a broad mission, go out and meet new friends and help them and see if they'll join our cause. And it's that simple. It's let's recruit planets and defeat the Gaul because that's a war going on or a war that's looming. It's season six. So it's sparking. Hard to say. Hard to. I guess it's always been going on for like 10,000 years. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the uh, uh, the basics of it is is that every episode, then I give advice on how to start with a character in a place of comfort, move through the whole story circle with one character weaving the other ones in to just you know how do they interact with this person on this person's journey how does you know what's a moment they can help with what's a moment you know that there's a challenge that they're instrumental and their friend overcoming and then just kind of going through that whole story wheel that kind of dan Harmon, you know writing one-on-one story wheel to build your episodes off of and then how to make each of those episodes fit a season arc where each of your four to six characters gets a moment to shine and, you know, they, but there's an all lost, all's lost moment where they can, where there's something big they have to overcome. There's that twist. There's all those when to drop them, where to put them in your 13 episodes and 13 episodes is a season. Play as many seasons as your campaign holds. I mean, the original series was 22 episodes long and uh, what, 10, 11 seasons, 10 seasons, season season, 10 seasons. I knew that too. I'm oh, sorry. That was a lot of answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, that makes sense. So so Jake, as the Stargate fan, how does that make you feel then? I think that is great. And it's funny that I feel like, I don't know, me personally, when we do like Dungeons and Dragons, right? I think about it as a TV show because a TV show is just the perfect, I guess, uh, marriage between a tabletop RPG where you know you have a certain amount of time that you're only going to be able to put so much content, you know, on the table and you want to leave the players wanting more. And so Whenever I'm, you know, writing something for the game that my players are in, I always try and have like a really, you know, gripping opening. I always try to have like a really good cliffhanger. I try to like throw a lot of music and stuff in there. And so I think this not only will help, you know, with this system, but I think there's probably going to be some nuggets in there that people will be able to use for any kind of role-playing game, it sounds like, because I mean, it, it really, it translates well. You can't see me, but I've just been nodding along the whole time you've been talking. It's like, yep, yep, yep. You get it. You get it. <laughs> check, check. All right. Fantastic. Well, I think 
so Jake, this you you also need to ask this next question yeah, yeah. because this is this is diving into some real deep Stargate stuff All right. right here. So uh I did see that on the Kickstarter it talks about how the timeline for this book is uh right in season six. Uh it even gives the episode uh yes. where the canon starts. Now my question is uh, you know, because I am a fan of the other shows, Atlantis and Universe. Are the other shows still considered canon? Oh, goodness, yes. So, with that being said, will other series be explored? We're not in control of what's canon. <laughs> <laughs> Is there plans to add anything for those other series? Um, like, I guess, book-wise, maybe not in this book, but maybe in future things, depending on the reception. Don't hold my feet to the fire on this, but of course we've talked about what we want to do for future books. And right now, the prevailing concept, that's where it's at now. <laughs> the prevailing concept is to move forward in the seasons and to do supplements as we move forward in time. There's a very natural moment in the history of the Stargate universe when the Phoenix site would be founded, and that's when we wanted to start it. Because the original pitch I had in my game was, what if the first years of NASA but Stargate? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's cool. And and so we're we end up going just a little bit beyond that. The base is a little more set up at this point. And there's a there's like a town down, you know, at the base of the Phoenix site, and that's where there's a little bit, but it feels much more like a military camp. Like, you know, it's it's not like the mountain, right? Which is right here in America and people can go home if they really want to fairly easily. I mean, you have to get them to turn on a Stargate for you to get back to, you know, Des Moines. <laughs> So it, it has a very, you know, foreign military base kind of feel to it. I mean, as of right now, the Kickstarter is doing extremely successful. Mm -hmm. So with that said, then... Um, Blown away. Yeah, it's it's absolutely... Were you all... I know it's... This is kind of a hard question because you always want to be optimistic about these things. But were you expecting this kind of reception for this? We were expecting it to do well, honestly. Stargate is a really strong property. In my family, we've always joked that it that that it's one of the three star pillars of science fiction, right? Because it's just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that's what we watched in the '90s through now. Like, <laughs> you know, if it's on, I watch it, and uh, it's I re I have such fond memories of them that I always kind of knew it was a big property, even though it hasn't. It's probably a big property because it's had such a steady quality. And it hasn't really pumped out a lot. Even the, I know this sounds crazy to say, but even the like books, like even the, the quick novels that, you know, used to, during the craze used to get put out, I would read one or two. I'd read them on a plane. I'd burn through them, but I, I always come away going that, that was way better than my airplane book deserved to be. Like that really <laughs> told a story. That's great. <laughs> you know, like there are very few books that were like that. And I'm not going to name any authors because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, with all that said, then what sort of you're playing? You're playing in obviously an established IP, and that's always can be a little bit tricky for some folks. But so, what sort of um, campaign building tools have you included? Because I know there's a lot of different things from the Stargate universe that you can bring into your game. So, what are some of the tools that you've included to build your own campaigns? Then, okay. So, in addition, of course, to guidance to the GM. One of the things I've done is I've tried very hard not to set a hard CR on anything. Because as a TV show, you want your characters to face an issue when they would face it. And if I tried to follow a hard CR, assuming that the Stargate team in SG-1 
you know, that SG-1 gained levels as the show went on. Now I'm like, well, okay, O'Neill is definitely like 13, 14 when the show starts, but Teal'c is probably like a level set. He was a first prime. He's at least a 17, 18. Like he's one of the most, where do I go from there? Right. But then you have to look at levels. They're a narrative function more than anything else. So basically you have to throw all of that, that logic out the window. And so the biggest thing is the bestiary where if you can figure out what you want them to face in the Stargate universe, I've probably given you an option to build it yourself very quickly. You can build beasts, animals, uh, a lot of alien animals. So I have a, a robust, like, create a weird, you know, natural alien animal system, right? Like, what do they have for the weird horses on this planet you're going to? Uh, we've included a lot of the key sci-fi, you know, what, what do we do about a vacuum? What do you do about high and low gravity? That's really not something they dealt with in 5th edition. So here's some of that. Here's 1 to 20 on every class, just so that you can easily throw a race onto it. And now you've got the bartender at this you know, oh. old west town that you've just walked on to on this weird planet. You know, like just trying to make sure that the GM has all of the tools to just kind of gunslinger out and encounter on the fly. Well, me being a uh, Stargate fan, I this is part of the question that I helped uh, come up with for you. Because um, I had some specifics, and you answered part of it because you said, obviously, ways to make monsters, aliens, you know. Um, but I think some of my favorite episodes of Stargate dealt around weird, like, phenomena or technical problems. Uh, mm -hmm. So, of course, the most famous being, like, the time loop episode, obviously. Or where they dialed the, the planet with the black hole and they couldn't get the gate to shut. Or where uh, Apophis is shooting the ray at the Stargate and it's going to make the Stargate explode. You know, those kind of things. All that fun so, stuff, right. Yeah, So and I just called them technical problems. So is there going to be rules and helpful things just for doing those kind of episodes, if you will? Uh, so what you've touched on is our basic structure of an episode. An episode is what I call usually two to four, depending on the episode, and sometimes they're all really blended, but roughly two to four, what are we called encounters? And an encounter is a challenge the characters mo most must overcome. Now, we split those into two. You have plot encounters and you have action encounters. Now, that's not to see, say plots can't be, plot encounters can't be exciting or that action encounters shouldn't forward the plot, but the mechanics you're interacting with are based on those. So for what you're asking about are plot encounters. And we have things like traversal. You got to get from point A to point B. There's a lot of navigation. You might get lost. There might be challenges along the way. Or convince encounters where you got to make sure that got to convince the judge to, to let your friend go. He didn't really murder him, right? Like that's, you know, that sort of thing. Or you might be handling um, in this specific case, an R&D encounter where you're trying to do research and development during the episode to figure out how to make this thing happen or to stop this thing from happening, right? You're trying to build a device. You're trying to do that sort of thing. Although the R&D encounter is a weird one because you have both an episode and season version. So if you're playing an engineer and you want to be making a new laser gun or a machine gun harness that's got all these gyroscopes on it, if, you know, if you're an engineer or uh, you're a scientist trying to uh, create a micro teleporter or something weird and science fictiony that would be your seasonal r&d where you try in every episode forward your your uh creation mm -hmm. so that yeah we've got a lot of different stuff in the encounter system interrogations all kinds of stuff well and i would be remiss if i didn't ask about spaceships we do have uh uh i don't call it dogfighting because i didn't like that term 
Mm-hmm. I, I, the minute I was like, dog fighting, right? Mm, no, no, can't call it that. I don't know why, but I know that that's a problem. Aerial combat, that's what we called it. Um, although, it's unfair to call it aerial combat because a lot of it's going to happen in zero-G environments uh, or vacuums, but we're still going to call it aerial combat because from a TV standpoint, it would be filmed the same way. So uh, we have a system uh, in the action counters for doing uh, aerial combat. That sounds awesome. I actually ran a game called Gate Aces uh, that involved, uh, uh, it was all F-302 pilots, and they were doing usually an aerial combat per session. Mm-hmm. Aerial combat. That's like one of those things. Whenever I think about, because we do, we play Ghost of, we play, we're playing Ghost of Salt Marsh, and we have sh- ship combat. Whenever I think of like vehicle combat, it just, to me, it can feel cumbersome. So how have you all made aerial combat? Because when I think aerial combat, though, I think of something very, very sleek and very quick and something that's happening so instantaneously. So can you just, how does aerial combat work in this? It is theater of the mind. We do not put that on a board, right? We want your character, we want all the description to be from you in the cockpit, from the player in the cockpit. So uh, one of the things that happens is instead of using initiative, we use your position dice. Uh, the more position dice you have, the better position you have in the vague scrum. Now, this could now if you're chasing and do- dodging through canyons, that would be handled with a pursuit encounter. But if you're kind of in space around a location, maybe you're moving into and out of clouds, through asteroid belts, that sort of thing, or you know even uh, in the skies above the you know above the lunar base or whatever your craziness you're doing this week, you have a position pool and you roll your position pool to determine initiative. And like with a lot of aerial combat, classic aerial combat, you then declare actions in reverse initiative order and then resolve actions in initiative order. So that rolling a higher initiative lets you know what other people are doing because you have higher, you have a better position. But again, it's a dice roll, so maybe you don't win. 3d8 versus 2d8, sometimes you come in lower. The position die, we'll get into that. It's based on the tension die, which is a whole other mechanic. Uh <laughs> But the, uh, and then you, during the turn, all of the actions also allow you to spend your position die to get bonuses to those actions. So you can come in behind someone's tail and strafe. You can try and knock them off of someone else's target lock. You can get target lock. You can do all that kind of stuff to set up a missile strike, which usually takes out a plane. A lot of those options. Nice. So this definitely sounds like this, there's a, what, this seems to be like a lot of stuff in this book. How big is this book going to be? 380 pages in the ballpark, maybe a little less, 360. Uh, you know what? I, I say this so un- I've got the book open. Uh, its current size, which is flexing a little bit, is 363, so expect it to be about 370. Yeah, you know, give or take after the editor comes through, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you scrape out magic and you got a lot of space. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so then, so talking, we've talked a lot about a lot of the new rules, but one of the things that really just grabbed me right away is you do say that this is based on the 5th edition SRD OGL, but you talk about a classless leveling system after 5th level, which sounds completely out of the ballpark when it comes to 5th edition. So how does this work? You get mission points, every uh, typically between 3 and 5 per mission, depending on the pacing the GM wants to go for. And once you've spent 10 mission points on feats, uh, all the feats have a mission point cost. Once you spend 10 mission points, you go up a level. That's where you get your hit die. Uh, eventually, progress. you know, your begins with the proficiency die <laughs> uh, will go up. And uh, yeah, you just kind of buy the feats you want and bake your own class. 
Okay, so you're not okay. I, so basically, you're not then. You're not then stuck in a certain set of skill tree. You're not stuck in a certain skill tree. There's just a whole host of different items then that you can really use to customize your stuff. Yeah, so you start you start a little more pigeonholed. Uh, from one to five, you do have one of six classes. These are the classes that the people who run the Stargate, the United States Air Force, are preparing to go onto SG-1 teams. If you don't know this stuff, you don't get to go. <laughs> Right? Like, you are a soldier. You have a job. We are a military. You must be able to do this job if we're going to send you on missions to represent Earth across the galaxy. We don't just send anyone. Uh, so, from one to five, you get a lot more per level than you normally would. You typically gain about 12 to 13 mission points per level, but you just get those every 10 mission points you go up, or five mission points you go up a level. Right? So, you, you, you're very much accelerated till five. And then after five, every all the wheels are off, and you can just you can start to dabble uh, almost immediately. Costs nine points if you've got the right skills to start off in a new class, so you can just start splicing what you like. I had a lot of soldier scientists, a lot of scout diplomats in my games, and yeah, you just I give you all the tools to really make multiclassing happen, and you pay for it with mission points. So if you want to be able to, I don't know, you've got a high int but a crap deck, so you want to take ballistic expert which lets you use Ent to calculate to hit. Because your guy knows physics, and he's a real smart dude, he should be good at figuring out where the sniper bullet goes. Uh, then, yeah, you, you know, you, that's seven points. That's most of a level. Oh, my word. Jake, you're going to love this game so much. I am. I'm going to play a scientist sniper, and just, like, before he even takes a shot, he just, like, calculates the trajectory in his mind. Oh, it's going to be oh, good. that's just... It sounds because this is it's so funny because you start talking about this stuff, Mac, and this is literally because Jake is in my game and he's always just like, hey, Tom, well, technically I would need I would be using this if this was real life instead of what it says here in the book. So can you let me do this instead? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? I, so that's I didn't know what to do about like gear. So I just went to my cousin who was a sergeant in the United States Air Force. I'm like, so. If you were to prepare for one of these missions, what would what would you want to take? And he's like, it's a lot more than you think. Does, do they have access to something that can move stuff? Like a, I'm like, well, let me describe. <laughs> let me describe the. Uh... <laughs> oh man, do they have? Do they have a hover fork truck? That, you know, technically they have malps that have, they have wheels. Say, so. They have the malp, and then there's uh, there's a few different configurations for the malp. In one of my games, my players immediately went, we want one of the mouths that moves like one of those new robot dogs. <laughs> they immediately wanted one with legs, so they had to go and R&D that for a season. That's incredible. Like, I love it. This sounds like, like every question that I have, like you guys, Mac, you, you have a very specific, like, yeah, of course. This, Maybe this is incredible. the stuff I want in the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess really the, one of the other questions that I had then well, was... Actually, Tom, I have to ask this question while we're on the leveling, uh, because this is very important to all the Stargate fans out there. Yeah. I just want to know, as part of the leveling, will our characters be able to die and then ascend and then come back and then die and then ascend and then come back and, you know, just <laughs> so on and so on? That is not my system for resurrection, no. Oh, You're going to need to go, go to the Nox if you want to get brought back from the dead. <sighs> okay. Um, Honestly, Ascension is such a personal journey, and it's such a narrative thing. I mean, just look at Daniel Jackson's journey to Ascension, mm -hmm. right? That that doesn't work for any other character. So, I can't really write rules for it, nor should I. It is, mm -hmm. um, not to quote uh, another writer, but Patrick Rothfuss, uh, he believes that there's 
two kinds of, or maybe it was Brandon Sanderson. Well, it was one of the two. They like I love having, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, they like having uh, a hard magic system and a soft magic system. And that works great in fantasy, and it works well in sci-fi as well. Sometimes you got to know when to use the soft sci-fi. And that's not something I should make mechanics for. If a player is going to want to do that in, a, in an adventure, the GM needs to know enough about Ascension to run it narratively. I can't write him rules for it. So I give him, a, uh, I think, a column, maybe a column and a half, describing it, kind of giving advice on how to run that storyline. But that's... That's one of those difficult things like, what does it mean to be pacifist? These mm-hmm. are these are entire questions a season asks, you know, or a series asks of a character, not just something I can write. You know, it's like, are there rules for knowing if my character is happy? Is this, <laughs> is this marriage going good? Like, I can't write rules for that. <laughs> well, I guess then, what was your favorite thing then that you did get to write? Like, there's so much stuff. But is there something here that you were just like, that you just enjoyed writing so much gosh this is such a nerdy answer the give it to us the firefight rules okay (laughs) i wanted there to be something that wasn't the one you know we use one meter squares that we give you the math to do five foot and all that kind of stuff i wanted a system that ran on a map like a tv show where you're watching people in a command room like as the soldiers go through the situation but you're controlling the soldiers, right? So we we designed a set of firefight rules that works on a, uh, I believe it's a 30 meter square so that there's actually, you know, realistic firearms ranges. I, we get a lot of debate um, in the, in the uh, especially among the playtesters, because I want to put in things like the maximum range is the maximum theoretical range for a gun. This is a sci-fi action show. If someone's <laughs> going to make that kill shot at, three miles and you're going to tell me no one's ever done that shot before yeah i know that's why we're writing this story (laughs) (laughs) this is the episode where he made the longest shot ever that i mean come on (laughs) i love that episode yeah i love that episode right so i want to do uh, i want to do uh i really wanted it to be to allow that kind of it's a tv show so the guys who really know guns the guys who really know military tactics need to be watching the show and every five minutes going come on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good point like yeah that's fantastic if you're if the if the military vets in your group aren't a little annoyed with what the story that's being told then with the realism of it then you're not telling a tv military show <laughs> i appreciate that meta so much like <laughs> it really is plus it lets your friends brag right like look man i drove a tank for six years let me tell you i've got a friend <laughs> my friend dan who I used to podcast with. He's a real life tanker. He had comments about, you know, the tank campaign I ran for Warhammer <laughs> where they were all Baneblade crew. Yeah, man, that's, those treads weren't right or something like that. <laughs> oh, you he know? knew everything and I'm just like, oh man, I gotta look up so many tank plans now. I gotta watch so much YouTube. So I guess re- this this one is, this question goes out directly to Jake then. Um, not to Jake. This is for Jake. So, Mac. <laughs> Jake wants to know. Will the furlings be explored? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I I I believe I believe MGM thinks, and I agree that the furlings are better left where they are. Where what's known about them is not for me, the Stargate RPG writer, to write or reveal. That's I I don't think they're they're really a thing to expand on in this setting. 
they're they're a bigger, more fun mystery for you know some big name director to get to play with. Well, and then we can all complain about how he did it the wrong way, and then you know. <laughs> and frankly, at this point, there's so many different head cannons. What am I supposed to choose? Mm-hmm. The way oh these these furlings sound just like what well, here here's the five second thing all right there was okay. five races that like made like an alliance and they were like the five most powerful races and like they're almost all gone except for the or I guess there was four races because the humans are now the fifth race they get the they get upgraded at the end spoiler alert but like <laughs> the the only one that nobody has like ever seen or heard of or anything there's nothing remaining is the furlings and like. They were apparently powerful enough to be with all these other big, powerful aliens, but they, it was that big mystery, and they literally... Uh, my favorite thing, I sent Tom the picture of the furlings from that episode in Season 10, where they're, you know, doing the pitch for the Wormhole Extreme thing, and they just show, like, the little koala bear-looking things. <laughs> um, and Tom's like, what? Those are furlings? And I was like, no, it's a joke, because they, they never show them. They never go into it. Oh, they never go into it? I, really, I legitimately thought that was them. No. Yeah. No, no, it's, oh my word! Yeah, they they want it to be. Sometimes, sometimes one of the lessons sci- good science fiction teaches us is you'll never know. Oh, that's okay, Jake. I take back everything I've said about the furlings. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess with that said, let's talk about the Kickstarter a little bit as we start to wrap up here. Uh, so, um, the the Kickstarter is um, nearing its conclusion, but. Uh, so, Mac, what are you all trying to then accomplish other than just getting the book out there with the Kickstarter? Well, now we got a bunch of stretch goals to do. I'm going to have to go put together a GM screen. That's that's on the list. We've got uh, digital miniatures. I think we just patched that one. That's that one. So I'm sure Brad is scrambling to uh, uh, get the guys that I, I'm sure he talked to already to go. And he's like, go, go, go. Man, we've got a lot. Uh there is a whole lot. This Kickstarter is pretty expansive. Do you all, after the Kickstarter is obviously I probably have fulfilled. to add another 20 pages to the background chapter. <laughs> That's, you're like, I, I'm almost envisioning just Mac like scrolling through the Kickstarter right now and just now realizing he's got to add 20 pages. Uh, luckily, a lot of the Kickstarters aren't my job to do directly. Ah, yes. I got a couple of things on there, but it's not insane. That's good. Well, then, do you guys plan, then, once it's been released and sent to all the backers, do you all want to see this book in game store shelves? Or is that that, is this something different? I believe the plan is to keep going for years and years and years. Okay. I, That's awesome. I would... I'm not Brad. I'm not the CEO. But I think that's what our goal is. I don't think we're trying to go just the one print run. We're, okay. Uh, we, we would really like to, to see this thing roll forward. I got more books in me that I want to do. We got a yeah. lot of them. Yeah, we got, I mean, we haven't even gotten to Jason Momoa. Yeah, we need Jason. <laughs> yeah, Jason Momoa's in Atlantis. Right. Yeah. Hold on. Is this a, no. are you serious? Dead yeah. serious. He's Main awesome. character. Ronan. He's. Ronan Dex. Wait. Yeah, He's... Ronan Dex. Wait. He even has Jason... a cool, cool 90s <laughs> sci-fi name. He's Ronan Dex. Wait. Jason Dax, Momoa Dax. was right. in Atlantis, and then he went on to play. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he oh, did. Oh, I had never he, put that. Yes, he was yes, that Aquaman? is the situation. <laughs> well, it's all this one giant headcanon now. <laughs> I just imagine Jason Momoa walking around the set on the DC thing going like, this Am is I not ever as good as Stargate. Atlantean? <laughs> Speaking of people wow. that are connected with Stargate, I'm going to throw this in. Uh, this is not sanctioned by Tom, but... 
Oh, I was man. watching the gameplay from Gen Con with David Hewlett. How how did that happen? You know, just uh, that's all Brad Brad Magic. I don't know who he talked to. I don't know where he you know which midnight he he killed that fatted goat on, but he made it happen. <laughs> Um, and then we just recently did one with, oh man, I should bring up the list of stars. Uh, they did one with like a full cast. Let me see if I can get you the full list of the cast. Oh, they I'm never going to find it in time. I'm so the lazy. the full cast? Uh, it wasn't the SG-1 cast. It was various actors who'd played characters in uh, Stargate throughout the, the life of Stargate played a game uh, just this last week on someone's YouTube channel. Oh, nice. That's 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 wild i mean it's like you were saying earlier i mean stargate is a really big ip i mean it's everybody know even if like even myself who wasn't anybody who was really into stargate i still knew stargate and i still knew what a stargate was and i knew the general premise it's just so pervasive in the culture especially with that that like you were saying that 90s tv that i mean i pretty i a lot of the new gamers now are that's where they're from so i think that's cool so with all that said then so, um so not to plug someone else but it's episode do it it's episode eight of dial the gate um it's on youtube i'll give you guys the link so you can maybe post it if you want to but it's it's let's see if i can get the list david hewlett david blue julie mcniven simon bailey rainbow uh sun franks i'm franks i'm sure i'm saying everybody's name wrong uh, and Alexis Cruz are all playing uh, a Stargate mission. Very cool. Wow. And I, so those those all then Stargate previous cast members then? Yeah. It's Ooh. fantastic. Uh, well, and and the host of uh, Dial the Gate. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. I mean, congratulations. Yeah. I, I'm super excited to see how well this is doing. It's, it's super cool to watch famous people play my play my game. <laughs> <laughs> it must be very surreal. So with Stars, that said, they're just like us. <laughs> That's right. So, Mac, before we get finished up here, then is there what what else do you think people need to know about the Stargate SG One? If you had like one final pitch to them, what would it be? Like, here's the one thing why you need to get this game. If you like role playing games, I've I spent a lot of this talking about why Stargate players will love it. But if you okay. like role playing games and you don't know Stargate, let me pitch Stargate to you in role playing game forms. You go okay. through the gate. You meet something cool, you deal with a problem, you come back home. It is a entire IP custom built to make awesome single section session role-playing games that you can string together for as long as you want. And then always wrap it up in a nice tight bow when you guys are ready to, to take a break or do something concise and then maybe do several of it. You know, as an adult, I find it very difficult to make role-playing happen as frequently as I'd like, and being able to do something like Stargate, it's designed for people who maybe only get to play 13, 14 times a year, and to still feel coherent and feel like you're able to get through a real full story. I mean, that is, it's super attractive as somebody who is, as a game master myself, like just being able to, I love very tight stories and short stories too. Because it's not like you can't just play five of those together to tell a bigger story. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, that's super cool. So with that said, then obviously Stargate, the SG-1 role-playing game is currently on Kickstarter as of recording. It's being published then by Werven Games. So I'm 
absolutely positive that this is going to be available after the Kickstarter. So definitely go, definitely go check it out because it I hope absolutely so. sounds like a blast. But jump on the Kickstarter now if you want to make yes. sure you get it because we are. I am finishing up the final touches before it goes off for final proof editing and approval by MGM and all that kind of stuff. Like we're not, we're not behind on this one. This isn't one of those Kickstarters that you know, it's still years away. We're, we're ready to put this in people's hands. We're excited. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, you all have your delivery dates are it's, it's kind of just right around the corner early so. next year, uh, April, April, March, I think. Yeah. So that's not, I mean, get kickstart it now and boom, it's, I mean, there it's 2021. Year. So it's an eternity away. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Hopefully by that time we can play in person, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> all right. Uh, so we've made sure to, to make sure the tools are available for online games like World 20. There's a operating character sheet ready to go. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a, huge. Yeah, well, I that's how I play. That's how I that's how I play tested. Uh one of our one of our beta testers was kind enough, he knew what to do and he he uh, put together a beta sheet for me and I've been using it in so many games and uh I mean there's some work to be done to make it official, I think, but yeah, the it's one of the stretch goals and it's going to be awesome. That's great. Yeah, no, for sure. I think more people need to use those digital tools. Um, with that said, obviously, I keep on saying this is the end, but Jake, this is your last chance. Jake, you got any more questions? I have so many more questions. Well, you can ask one question, so okay. it better be really Do, good. Does it, it matter it... if it is like Bruce. not related to anything like that we've talked about in the past 10 minutes? Yes, you can say whatever you want. Okay, so <laughs> I, I saw that you have this other race, right? And um, they are well. Actually, oh, I, this is like a two-part question. Can yeah, you turret. can you touch a little bit on the races? Because I see there's Unas there as well. Yeah, but like they are a questionable ally. I feel like in some episodes they're okay, and then other episodes, you know, they're not so great. And then obviously you mentioned the Nox before, but uh, in you know the one uh, or the few episodes that they're with in SG One, like they're like, oh, well, we don't get involved. But then, like, here we have some people who are involved with them. So can you just touch on that, for just for me personally? So some of this is still uh, <laughs> pending approval by MGM, although it's all been given cursory, you know, preemptive approval. We didn't write everything with them knowing nothing about what we were doing. But, so, the races. Uh, obviously, the predominant race at the Phoenix site is human. Uh, this is the United States Air Force, but there's also humans from around the galaxy. Um, humans from different planets, all kinds of different... We meet different kinds of humans. Sometimes humans and Jaffa live on the same planet. Some people have the pouch. Some people don't. You know, it's a whole deal. And so we've uh, humans are a big part of it. And this is a coalition force. Uh, the The Phoenix site is not just United States Air Force. It's people from around the galaxy. It's a coalition. I said that word already. Uh, <laughs> and uh, next up would be the Jaffa, uh, especially the free Jaffa that have broken away from the Gaul and are fighting for their freedom. That's kind of why our series starts uh, our game starts in season six that's when these things happen let's see there's also the tokra so you, if you you know you want to play the good gaul play a tokra we have the unas uh, they are probably the uh, least common them and the aturin are the least common members of the Fe uh, the phoenix site the unas are very much recruited as individuals although uh, some clans will send uh send off uh, one or two of theirs to join the phoenix site as part of a thank you variety of reasons ways your character could be there and then uh the aturin are from a race where the nox intervened where i can't remember the exact specifics uh, i didn't write that section but uh, the uh, nox 
or I should say a Nox or two, it's a little nebulous, decided to intervene with a species that was kind of angling towards some problems. And uh, they have started to right their ship, but they're not exactly perfect yet. But they're also where if you want to play a complete pacifist, like I won't hurt anyone, I won't even drug them against their will. I won't even use a tranquilizer. Obviously, there's the gamut of, of pacifism, but like there's you'll get some resurrection powers. You can turn invisible like <laughs> like you get some of those that Noxian philosophy stuff that you started to figure out. So that's the Aturans can theoretically get there. Well, and that's just great for storytelling as well, because, you know, you have these cultures that have very like strict rules to follow, like, you know, not just the Aturans, but the Jaffa. And humans are very like, oh, you can turn invisible? Well, turn invisible, go over there and kill that guy, you know? <laughs> and that can cause a lot of interpersonal conflict, which I think is great for now, storytelling. No, if you're going to turn invisible, you're, you're like, I won't even drug a guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that would be circum... That would be... That, he's a sentient being. I wouldn't even do that to an animal. Like... <laughs> but then again, having your medic run around the battlefield invisibly has its benefits. <laughs> So general lawyer isn't like, nah, I don't want the invisible doctor on my side. Like, <laughs> he's going to say yes. That's incredible. That sounds, there's so much cool stuff here. Jake, are you happy with that? I'm very happy with that. <laughs> I'm super happy with this episode, you all. I'm so glad you all were able to join me because I am going to just definitively say, like, I had so much fun recording this and this may be the nerdiest episode of this RPG podcast we have ever recorded, and I loved it. So thank you both so much. My pleasure. So, Mac, where can people find you on the... Are you are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Where can people find you if they want to interact with you? I'm theoretically on Facebook, but or on Twitter, okay. but mostly it'd be on Facebook. Uh, I'm really easy to find on Facebook. Or you can go to... Uh, StargateTheRPG.com would be where to where to get all the latest Stargate RP, uh, SG-1 RPG nudes. Fantastic. We will include those links in the show notes and include links to the Kickstarter as well. Mac, thank you so much for joining myself and Jake tonight. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, it was my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, all right, here we go. I'm going to let you do this one by yourself. Oh, all right. Thank okay. you. So um, thank you all so much for joining us. You can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter if you want to find out what we're up to. And as always, like we like to close out every show. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook 
or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.